Howdy all you werewolves and vampires. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. We're a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minor in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and trying to raise our kids to be half as spooky as we were back in the 80s. We're your hosts, Woody Brown. And Tyler Benz. How's it going, pal? Pretty good, pal. How about you? Oh, man, keeping it spooky, son. Oh, you know it. I mean, we, we literally say this every time, but yeah, it is getting spooky. Yeah. Also, before we dig into anything, I got to give mad props to my wife, Courtney, for going for it this year with the Halloween decorations. There's usually so much pushback from her because she just she's not really into it, but I don't know what's happening, but... I mean, yeah, it's called many years of marriage, man. Yeah, I've just, I've just like, you know, just, finally wore her down. Yeah, wore her down. But it's awesome. Our house looks cool. Uh, we got stuff everywhere. And uh, yeah, it's a good I mean, one. that's an exciting announcement. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for you. Thank Here's you. Here's another exciting announcement since we're just going to get some of this housekeeping out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Folks, I'm super excited to announce that we have a brand new P.O. box where you can send us letters, packages, postcards any kind of correspondence, and if you have something handy, you can write this down now, and you can send those to, that would be rad, 2551 Limestone Parkway 1A, box number 4, Gainesville, Georgia, 30501. Man, box 4, huh? That's your favorite number. number 4, exactly. I was able to choose it, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, enough of that housekeeping. I got to say, and this is this is topical here based on what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I realized over the last couple of weeks why at some points during the year, I'll kind of look at the VHS, look, VHS, why, does, why, why is that hard to say? <laughs> I'll kind of look at the VHS shelves. Mm-hmm. I kind of, it's almost like that paralysis by analysis thing. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll watch this. No. It's kind of, it, it takes me back to being in the aisles of Blockbuster and not being able to figure out what I want to watch. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately ending up with, you know, Ernest Scare Stupid or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I realized that I now understand why at random points in the year, I'm not really in the mood for a bunch of these horror movies. And that's because, dude, I watch so many mm-hmm. When October starts. And truthfully, I kind of started at the end of September. I mean, I've been watching so many every single day that it's just ridiculous, man. And I'm talking about really crappy, really campy 80s ones. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, kind of good ones from the 90s, you know, just all across the board. New ones now, even. And I don't know, man, I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Which, by the way, I did watch The Fog at your request, and, mm. man, it is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. To, it. I don't want to get too far into it here, but it is kind of hard when you measure it up to, I guess, newer movies. Mm-hmm. Eh, I can see how people would be like, I mean, it's okay, right? But being in early 80s, I think count 1981, mm-hmm. it's John Carpenter. There's so many aspects of it that I just fell in love with. Ugh, it's It's just the best, man. Yeah, and... I mean, we'll probably talk about it a little more on the Patreon, but there's there's this thing that I really love. It's like this sort of kind of kind of like a plot device where you have like a uh, sort of like a radio broadcaster, 
like a like a DJ that that's kind of setting the stage and it's almost working as like like a narration device, I guess, in mm-hmm, a way. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it has like this like which I think the, to me this was like way ahead of its time where it it's really creepy stuff, but then at the same time you have this all these people are listening to the radio and like you're hearing this DJ, but then you're also it's also sort of intermixed with this like really light, like happy sort of like jazzy kind of music or like mm-hmm. old yeah. standard kind of stuff. And I think that's really, that was something that came like much later, you know, like, like, oh, l- instead of having like creepy music, let's have like this weird sort of like happy music while all this is going to, you know. Right. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And the DJ in that movie, and I was wrong, it came out in 1980, but it's Adrian Barbeau who. She's awesome. I don't know if she's ever looked as hot yeah. as she did in The Fog. I mean, she she's just awesome. And then when she, I loved how it showed like how she would like turn on the buttery smooth radio voice, mm-hmm. you know, when she got behind the mic, it was great. Yeah. Uh, yep. But speaking of movies, you know, one thing that I always wonder about, and I think a lot of modern movies kind of, uh, they get away with saying this movie is based on a true story. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and so you start watching the movie. You're like, "Oh man!" And then after the movie's over, you're like, "Boy, well, I wonder what that was about." And it's taken elements of things that have happened in real life, but it's not really like a single story or a single event. Or right. sometimes it's barely based on a true story, you know. Mm-hmm. And that always gets on my nerves. But with all of these things, I always wonder, man, was there something that? I don't know, triggered these creators to either tell this story or is this actually based on something true? And as we know, horror movies are scary because, well, that's what they're designed to be, you Mm -hmm. know? And just depending on what scares you, for example, you know, running away from a psycho killer with a hatchet or a chainsaw, Mm-hmm. While it can be frightening to me, it doesn't necessarily like keep me up at night. But someone that just creeps into your dreams or something, oh, yeah. that scares the heck out of me, right? And so mm-hmm. because there's su- such a broad spectrum of what scares people, I think a lot of these movies kind of, if they're based on something true, it kind of, in a way, for some of them, takes away the sort of supernatural element of it. But for some of them, it kind of solidifies yeah. the supernatural element. Mm-hmm. So when we get back from a quick break and a word from our sponsors, we're going to start diving into actual true stories that inspired some of Hollywood's scariest movies that exist. So stick around if you dare. After these messages, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Pretty good place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Don't you? If anyone out there wants to. 
fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. So long-time listeners of the show will know, or the, you'll, you'll have a pretty good understanding of what kind of the, the, the scary movie genre that I, the subgenre that I kind of don't really dive into much. And just as luck would have it, this first one that I'm talking about deals with just that. So this is the true story about what inspired the movie The Conjuring. Mm. I'm looking at a photo right now that is allegedly one of the oldest known photos of this house, which was taken several years before this family moved in. These real-life hauntings that happened here, of course, inspired 2013's The Conjuring and then later 2015's uh, The Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, I have not seen these two movies precisely because... I'm not into the sort of... Um, Just say you're what? scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this type of movie... Just seeing the trailer was the reason why I didn't see it. I'm not a big, I'm not really into the, uh, like a haunting type movie because that will uh, give me nightmares. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there it is. So these terrifying true experiences are based off of two pretty infamous names, uh, actually, but Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. These are two folks that were, well, Ed was a self proclaimed demonologist, and his wife, Lorraine, claimed to be a medium who could communicate with the demons that her husband was able to locate. There, I think, have been a lot of horror movies actually based on the life of the Warrens, or I should say, in thanks to the Warrens and and their life. In fact, there are a few more on this list, but they gained a pretty big clientele after establishing the... New England Society for Psychic Research in 1952. I know for a fact that we've talked about them before. I just can't, I couldn't put my finger on like what episode we mentioned them, but I swear we've talked about them before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 um, I mean, I'm sure we've talked about them a decent amount because, yeah. You know, at first they were, I think in a lot of ways they were sort of the first of their kind, you know, like you didn't really have, you know, quote unquote, like ghost hunters kind of deal, but they kind of sort of popularized it. And, you know, a lot of the bigger cases, you would see them sort of popping up, you know, it was kind of like any of the sort of the cases that would make, you know, national news, they would sort of show up to these places. Right. Apparently, they claimed that they investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. Yeah. Now, again... I mean, that's a lot. I don't... That, I mean, I don't even... <laughs> geez, Louise, man. They were among the first investigators for a different haunting that we'll talk about in a little bit. They also used... They, they kind of brought in different people from different fields within their investigations, like medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, mm-hmm. college students, members of clergy. I mean all kinds of stuff um, when they would do this. Well, this 
specific haunting that occurred. Well, one of the most famous cases, I should say, of demonic possessions has now became the basis for this uh, movie, The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. It deals with this family called the Parents, and they moved into this 14-room farmhouse out in Rhode Island back in 1971. I think it was January of 1971. Mm. Right when they moved in, they began to notice that strange things were happening. Everything from mysterious noises, odd smells, missing objects. And of course, at first, the family didn't really think anything of it. That is to say, until they learned of the house's history. Now, you got to put yourself in those folks' shoes. Now, when I hear about someone moving into a 14-room farmhouse, Mm -hmm. right, these guys are, you know, up before the sun and coming back home well after the sun's gone down. If they're hardworking farmers, I'm not sure if it was still a functional farmhouse at that point. But, you know, if you've got enough people in your family to fill a 14-room house, Mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of other things on your plate. Like, you know, Susie's pulling Jimmy's hair and Jimmy's, you know, spitting on Freddie's dinner plate. You you know what I'm saying? I I mean, mean, which, by the way, can you imagine? I mean, I have two kids. Oh, no. And it is exhausting. I I cannot imagine. It's it's even exhausting just to make sure that you're kind of dividing your attention equally. Oh, yeah. Forget about like, oh, I have to take this person there and that. I mean, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. That said, you'd have, you know, a fair amount of helpers and stuff around too. All mm-hmm. right. Which, so which, which also, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do got to say there is something about like these modern sort of horror movies that take place in like the 60s and 70s. Mm. There's just something about that that like just sort of ramps up the scare a little bit to right. me. You oh, know? yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime there's any sort of retro look, even... And, you know, the 70s and 80s, it's not really, it doesn't feel that far away. Mm-hmm. When you start getting to, like, the 1800s and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it also adds this strange, eerie element to it. Yeah. That's just, you know, scary. So, mm-hmm. allegedly, this house had been in the same family for eight generations. And mm-hmm. a large number of that family actually had died under... Suspicious circumstances. Ooh. In the film, and again, sorry if I'm spoiling it, I'm spoiling it for myself as we speak, but one of the most horrible spirits depicted in the film was a spirit they called Bathsheba. And it turns out she was actually a real person and, you know, hold on to your seat here, allegedly a Satanist who lived on the property in the mid-1800s. Now, Mm. talk about, uh, probably didn't have a whole lot of folks that she could relate to uh, being a Satanist in the 1800s. I'm not sure. I'll have to look at the statistics there, but I would consider it, you know, a minority for sure. Well, she she technically was probably... Like a Protestant, and they're like, hey, (laughs) she's a Satanist. No, she was probably more of like a a theosophist or like a, Mm. you know, like a... Uh, Helena Blavatsky, uh, mm-hmm. but then in that, you know, it was probably a super small town. It was like, oh, she's a Satanist. I mean, right now, I will sure. say there is some very dark stuff in that as well. But 
you know. Yeah, I, I've, I'm fairly I, certain if if she would have healed somebody with penicillin, they would have you know burned her at the stake. Yeah. So right here we go, 1800s. All right. So the Perrin family believed that this spirit of Bathsheba was the one that was tormenting their family. And we're talking over like 10 years. And during this time, the Warrens would visit the home multiple times. Mm. Now, one of the seances performed by Lorraine with the parent children's mother, Carolyn, all of a sudden, Carolyn became possessed. Mm. She rose from the ground and began speaking in a demonic voice and tongue. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up. This is, again, welcome back. This is part of the reason why I don't want to see that on screen. It grosses me out, Mm -hmm. freaks me out. It's just yuck, okay? If I saw that in real life, that's it. Yeah. I'm burning the house down. I'm losing all my money. I don't care. I'm out of there. We're leaving. Let's go, right? Now, this family, the parents, remained in the house despite all this until the 80s. Mm. Once they moved out, the possessions and strange things that were happening and all this phenomena ended. Yep. Now, what the heck, man? Yeah. I I mean... It is funny because I, I don't get scared of a lot of things, but there is that element of like something like being like in your your house, which is like sure. your sort of little bubble of protection against the world and, you know, your sort of safe haven and the idea that like you can't escape, you know, whatever's happening, even whenever you're in your home is like th- there is something really sort of, like tragic and scary about mm. that, you know? Yeah, and, it, and it's the reason I think that this kind of stuff, because I think a lot of folks are like, well, I mean, I just don't believe in that stuff, so it doesn't scare me. I right. think it's silly. It's more like my own imagination, mm-hmm. imagining that being like my family member, all of a sudden, because I know, like, for example, dude, Anne, my wife, listeners, mm-hmm. won't even play Dungeons and Dragons with us because she says she just doesn't, have an interest in trying to use imagination. Okay? No, no, no. She just says, I don't have I don't have an imagination, right? <laughs> and so I know that if she was the one that all of a sudden rose from the ground and started talking in a demonic voice and stuff, mm. dude, uh, that would be this. So the idea of that is so scary to me yeah. that I don't even like to think about it, and that's why I don't watch these movies. Mm-hmm. I can't believe. Now, I, I, I got I to gotta say this. Someone's staying in a house where that stuff's going on, and they're just like, oh, you know, hey. Just part cool, of it. Man. Hey, Bathsheba, yeah. let's have dinner. I, it's hard for me to believe. Of course, I don't know their financials. You know, maybe they couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I start to lean toward, whoa, making it up. Yeah, well, but, I mean, like our episode on the Watcher house, you know, yeah. they... To, to be able to get the house, they pretty much sunk all of their money into it, you know. So then they show up yeah. and, like, with them it was a different story. You know, I think it was, like, you know, I mean, obviously it was, like, people, 
you know, and not like a ghost or demonic kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. but it's like, where, where do you go from there? You just sank all of your funds into just getting your family into the house, you know? So you just, it's sort yeah. of like a trap. Kind of stuck. Yeah. 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 Oh man. So anyway. Well, so, so how, how does it say like how they, how they found the name and everything? Of no, movie? no. I guess we have to watch the movie for that. So mm. I, I've seen it's, it, but it's been years. I'm not going to watch it. I, I don't know. It kind of does interest me now. But apparently, later in the '70s, the Warrens had a similar experience with a family named the Hodge, Hodgson family in in England, mm-hmm. and same kind of deal was going on. Furniture inexplicably moving around uh, without being touched. Objects flying around the room. Um, and odd noises that would sound throughout the home. And then the hauntings spontaneously would end only two years after they had begun, and the family had zero explanation for this. Now, hmm. another quick thing, I don't want to you know, stay stuck on this first one, but it's interesting to me because you know, you don't really hear a lot about, or at least, and I guess it's an admission of mine as well, I don't really hear, I haven't read about a lot of modern day sort of poltergeist type activity mm-hmm. that's just happening, you know, like this, that would necessitate someone having a career where they're investigating 10,000 cases. Yeah, right. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. I well, I, I do wonder though if, yeah, that that's an interesting point because if, for Ed and Lorraine Warren to, you know, I mean, let's take it at face value. Say they did do over 10,000 cases. Well, the that is an interesting point, is the fact that, like, it was much more sort of, like, tight-lipped and, you know, people kept that stuff probably a little more quiet, I would say. So, like, how how were they sort of turned on to all these cases? To me, that's yeah. that's, like, just as sort of... Mm. Uh, p- kind of wild and unbelievable as like actually doing the 10,000 cases. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. That's interesting. All right, man, what you got? Okay, so moving right along, and this sort of bookends perfectly with the last case. This is probably one of the most spooky sort of movies of all time, and mm. that is no other than The Exorcist. Ugh. Yeah. Again, this is inspired by true events, as as they kind of say now. You know, it used to be based on a true story. Now it's inspired by true events, which I think gives them a little more, yeah, like a little more leeway on you know the believable. But yeah, this was a movie, and you know what, man, I don't even know if I've finished The Exorcist. I feel like I feel like I've seen. It's it's weird. I just remember mm-hmm. like parts of it, but yeah, I need to go back and watch it. Oh, no, you don't, man. <laughs> I mean, I do remember it being like, you oh, know, it's you just too much, man. You, you know how you just said like, ugh, it's just like yeah. that yuck feeling. Like, I would say that movie really does it. To me, though, I would say the scariest sort of aspect of this movie is there's something about that cover, you know, that mm. shows. It shows like the priest, like under the street light. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just something so ominous and like scary about that. Yeah, me. I mean, I always thought like 
that priest was kind of like cool, you know, in mm-hmm. a way. I mean, he's kind of like a rock star. He's kind of right. like, um, oh gosh, uh, Constantine, you know? Yeah, um, right. And I don't know. I, I think that's cool, mm-hmm. but it's just so gross, man. I just can't watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's like The Haunting of Emily Rose. There's there's multiple cases like this, you know, but this is one that, you know, would go on to inspire like probably one of the the most, you know, feared horror movies of all time. It begins in the late 40s. Well, first off, the movie came out in 1973. But the story itself would begin in the late 40s when a 13-year-old boy who was referred to as Roland Doe I don't actually think his actual name is known, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But after the death of this this kid, Roland Doe's, after the death of his aunt, uh, he began to experience like these sort of odd situations in the home. His mattress would move around. A sort of unknown liquid, mysterious liquid would drip from the walls. And then... You know, this goes to our pal Clay and his daughter. Uh, scratching noises would come from the floor of his room. Yikes. Um, yeah, I, as soon as I read that, I immediately thought of, like, the mm-hmm. the scribbling and the drawing sound, yeah. which is super creepy. His parents were super concerned, uh, and they would go on to enlist the help of a local priest to come over to perform an exorcism. I, I guess on the sun, which I, I don't know if that was more of, like, the home itself, or I don't know. I I don't know how they went from like, you know, the, <laughs> hey, all this. It's his fault. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the yeah. kid's fault. But they, I well, I guess they never. It was never completed because the boy would jump out and slash the priest uh, with a spring from his mattress. So, Good Lord, yeah, I stand corrected. <laughs> the The boy's parents then would take him from their home in Maryland to St. Louis for another exorcism where mysterious scratches would appear on his body and, again, his mattress would would shake and move around the room violently. Which, to me, that, I mean, can you imagine? Like, um, n- no. I mean, that's like such a, I mean, just sort of like overly manifestation, you know, of, of mm-hmm. a poltergeist or whatever. But the priest would note that that the boy would enter trance-like states and speak in, you know, the classic guttural sort of deep voice. <sighs> they all claimed that objects would fly around the room and the boy would have uh, these extremely violent reactions when faced with, you know, sacred objects and like crosses and the Bible, crucifixes, you know that sort of uh, religious paraphernalia. At one point during Doe's possession, an X was mysteriously carved into his his chest right before their eyes. And, you know, that was when, I mean, I think I I probably would have gotten to this before, but then, you know, that moment, that's when they believed that he was possessed by 10 demons, I guess because of the X. Oh, wow. You know, it's that, like, I am legion kind of thing. One final exorcism took place a few weeks later at the Alexan Brothers Hospital in St. Louis, and this time it was successful. 
after coming out of his trance, Doe simply said he's gone. Some plot points in the Exorcist film were, however, embellished. For example, Doe's head never spun around and he never vomited, you know, green vomit. But other than that, it's uh, it's basically true for the most part, Jeez. which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And again, you know, we us talking about, you know, before the, just that idea that like that inescapable sort of fear of having something go on like in your house, you know, in yeah. your safe haven. Uh, that's even worse when, you know, I mean, just imagine like that it's like your kid that all this stuff is sort of. Man, yeah, it's just too much, man. Yeah, just like totally like just being tortured by, you know, whatever it was. And you got like no control. No, there's nothing you, you know, can do. I mean, you can't, you can't like fight anything. You can, I mean, other than like prayer and, you know, calling in like exorcists and stuff. But I mean, there's, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, what yeah, would you do, yeah. you know? I don't know. It's scary. All right, this next one, I know we say a lot about sort of pre-internet mysteries, but this next one is actually more modern and, you know, not based in the 70s, which in a way still kind of makes it creepy. In fact, in a lot of ways, when you start adding things in like the internet mm. to all of this stuff and how quickly information and or evil could spread, it gets pretty scary. Mm-hmm. It is one of the first, I would say, to kind of be, I don't know, man, born on the internet is, is the best way I can think of it. Yeah. Now we're talking about the Slender Man myth back in 2009 and already has a movie. Now, here's the thing. I'm kind of like, I don't know about you, man, but it kind of gets on my nerves when they make a movie about an event that's only like two years old. Well... You know what I mean? Like, it's like the, uh, this girl pretending to be a socialite, and, I was, and it's like, she went to court, and then now there's a movie, and you're like, oh, okay. I mean, I would agree with you, but the outcome of this, I'm sure all oh, of our yeah. listeners know. I mean, it's pretty intense. Yeah, and I remember the first time I actually heard about this, believe it or not, because this is one of those things, Slender Man in general, that I don't want accidentally in my search mm. history or YouTube uh, history for my kids to stumble upon because the kids talk about this even now in school as being like a creepy thing. Yeah. And so I don't, we're not talking about that in, in here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, and I still don't know much about the origin of the, the myth of Slenderman and all that. Mm-hmm. But the way I found out about it was because of my sort of obsession with watching these true crime videos. Yeah. If you ever, if you're into true crime and you've not watched the YouTube channel, that chapter, mm. I recommend it. He's a, he's a cool dude. All right. Allegedly, this forum user created Slenderman after sort of being asked, well, there was like a, a call for Creepy photographs. Mm-hmm. You know, you've if you've ever been on any kind of internet forum, there's all kinds of these like subreddits and all these oh, things. Yeah. Two chain or what is it? Four chain. <laughs> okay, uh, and which would go into like eight chain and right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, two chain and mm-hmm. I mean, heck, especially now with all these like AI, you've seen them, I'm sure, listener. The AI creepy video uh, or, or uh, creepy pictures are even worse. They're scary. Well, this guy put a photo of Slenderman and almost took on a life of its own. You know, he combined these photos of a tall, mm-hmm. skinny man with, with no face, almost like a shadowy figure, with photos of, of children playing nearby. 
So after this initial post, the internet just kind of took it and, and ran. Which, by the way, this was on the Something Awful uh, forum. Ah, okay. Yeah. Which basically they would sort of put a call out to, or not a call, but they would put out like a... In of, search of or whatever. Yeah, or like a prompt. Did you get into what a creepypasta was? No, I didn't talk about that just now. So a creepypasta is basically like a scary story written in sort of the format of it being a true event. You know, so it would be like, you know, then I woke up and da 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 da. It's like you're, mm-hmm. it's like you're just giving an account of a situation. So like a first hand, first person account, kind of, fi- yeah, fictional, yeah. Okay. Uh, which I mean, I do think, I think that it, you know, that kind of stuff maybe has done some bad for certain, you know, aspects of this community. But, mm. but I think it's, you know, if you're looking at it as just like a fun thing, then I think it's pretty cool. It's just it's yeah. kind of like making up your own your own ghost story kind of deal. Yeah. But on this forum, I don't know if like the prompt was like for it to specifically be like a Photoshop type challenge type thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But this dude named Eric Nudson, he's known as Victor Surge on there. He, you know, like what he was saying, he would go on to uh, sort of give this like little synopsis of the character, and then he would had these photos, which were, I think they were all kind of like vintage photography, but uh, these like old school photos. And then he would place, you know, Photoshop in this this character with these like super long limbs, sort of a blank face, you know, just kind of standing way off in the distance. I mean, he super did it. creepy. He did a great job. They look, yeah. they look awesome. But yeah, that's, that's the breakdown. And so... Even though it was a fictional myth, real life horror occurred because mm. of it. In 2014, a and this is tragic. I mean, it really is it's awful. Again, the reason why I learned about it was because of the sort of true crime um, YouTube channel that I was watching covered this, and it's just it's unimaginable as a parent. As anybody that knows any kid, anytime there's kids involved, I mean, honestly, I almost didn't even want to talk about this story because I just, ugh. Mm-hmm. But essentially, a 12 year old uh, in Wisconsin was stabbed almost 20 times yeah. by two of her friends in an attempted murder. The two friends, when describing their motive for doing this, was to quote, please. The Slender Man. Mm-hmm. One of the girls behind the attack was actually quoted by the press in saying, many people do not believe Slender Man is real. We wanted to prove the skeptics wrong. Apparently, there have been other violent attacks that have been carried out to please, quote, you know, Slender Man, uh, including in 2014, a, a separate unrelated stabbing where a woman was attacked by her 13-year-old daughter dressed in a hoodie and wearing a blank white face mask. Also, a 14-year-old girl in Florida started a fire in her house after she had read a bunch of material on the Slender Man. So, Mm. you know, earlier you mentioned in some ways there's, you know, obviously bad that can come of this. And look, it's kind of like blaming 
XYZ tragedy on XYZ band or anything like that. You know, folks that are unfortunately, well, mentally deranged. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, unhinged. Yeah, unhinged. Or, you know, in, in the case of these youngsters that did this, man, it's it really is. The, there's portions of their brain that haven't developed fully yet that will allow for them to see and 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 be able to comprehend almost the gravity of that, like something like this mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of kids do, of course, obviously, but that's the the kind of danger here. And, and it's just, uh, it sucks. Now, here's the good news. The good news is the girl that was um, attacked in that, you know, attempted murder mm-hmm. lived. Uh, I'm pretty sure she, the, that's the reason why these two girls were caught because she was able to, I think, lead help lead them uh, to him. So I think... I think she was able to get out. I mean, again, I'm not going to get super into it, but they basically took her to sort of a restroom in like a park sort of in the mm-hmm. woods and they did it in the restroom because there was a drain. I'll let you fill in the blanks. And she made it out. And then I think a biker, uh, like a mountain biker, uh, happened to be coming through like on like a trail and spotted her. And, you know, she was able to right. to live on, which is cool. Yeah. And and I think she actually, that's right. She she testified in, in the, the court case uh, against those two. And I think she's doing well and apparently has a pretty good sort of outlook um, for someone that, that had to go through that. So, I mean, whew. Yeah. Wild. And well, and let me say this too about this this particular case. So one of the things that I find uh, I've always kind of found really interesting about this case is and take all of like this sort of tragic stuff away from it. But the thing about like the sort of the creepy pasta, you know, thing is that like, you know, it's sort of like an open source or like public domain. So this this guy created this, you know, small little quick story, photoshopped in these photos, and it, then it kind of would go on to create, like, it had a life of its own. And so I, I think, I don't know, I often wonder if, if we are truly kind of watching, like, a Tulpa-type situation unfold with this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Because when the girls were were caught, like the 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 two girls that you know tried to murder the other girl, um, when they were caught, they they were saying like all this other stuff that never had anything to do with the actual official Slenderman story. So like they were saying, oh well, we had to do this to become proxies for the Slenderman, and Jesus. and he promised that he would take care of us in his mansion in the woods mm. if we did this. And so, I, you know, I haven't looked a ton into it, but it's like, where did all, where did that come from? Because yeah. none of that was ever a part of the, you know, the folklore or whatever. Yeah. Which, by the it, way, I do, I do like that, you know, some like old school folklorists call, you know, they, they say that like creepypasta is basically like digital folklore, which I think is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a different medium for mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. We'll return after these messages.
Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. You know, to me, it's like, what an odd placement for the use of your imagination. Like, when I was their age, I was like, I mean, I think the the girl in weird science could, you know, if I got a computer. My goodness. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's where my imagination mm-hmm. was going. Not like, hey, man, this guy, I'm gonna live in a mansion. Just uh, so weird. Well, now I will admit that I made up this story. So my sister is a good bit younger. That you were a karate instructor. <laughs> well, no, that happened too. But my my cousin Colt, my cousin Zach, and my sister, like we would just play in the woods like all day, and I was like the oldest oldest one, and so. You know, I would make. I made up this story about um, these characters called the Wood Elves. I mean, I was okay. big into like D and D and stuff already, but I would then always like bring it up as the sun was going down, and we're like mm. in the middle of the woods, like a mile away from the house, and it would just immediately cause everybody to just start running, sprint, full sprint, full sprint home. Yeah, so I kind of get it. I mean, I think it's there is something fun. In oh yeah yeah that, no, no, no. You know? I, yeah for sure I, like yes I used you know I used uh, imagination and stuff like that to like tell scary stories and mm-hmm. that kind of thing I'm just saying actually believing that if you killed somebody mm-hmm. then you're gonna you know whatever well see we'll see that's that's the thing that that um I'm a little like I don't know if confused is the right word that that's the thing that I don't quite understand is like, were they saying this because this was something that sort of they had imagined, this, like, proxy thing, and then him living in this, like, mansion in the middle of the woods? Yeah. Like, or, you know, if we're looking at it in a true believer type way, or w- was this, like, some sort of, like, like mm-hmm. egregore or, like, mm-hmm. tulpa type thing where, you know, instead of the Tibetan monk that was walking around the monastery. Now they're seeing like a real slender man and he's really like whispering in their ears because like, you know, I, I mean, I think it's a lot like the, the, the low ab story or the lobe mm-hmm. story, which you can find out about that on episode. Hear this mysterious story on that would be rad season two, episode 55 lobe, the first AI cryptid Tulpa or terrifying art demon. It's, I, I think there is an element of, once, you know, so many people start finding out about this, it's like, you know, it starts to gain, like, all those intentions and thoughts and, like, beliefs, you know, in it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, is there an element of, like, you kind of, like, you know, inadvertently, like, sort of bringing something into our plane of yeah. existence, you know? It's it's hard with this specific case because you're also talking about, like, 12-year-olds right, who are right. so impressionable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyway, I don't know. Yeah. On to the next one. Okay, so this next one is a story uh, that would inspire this, one of the most popular sort of horror books of all time. 
This book came out in 1977. Mm -hmm. um, it went on to feature a full-on movie franchise, and that is the classic Amityville Horror. Mm -hmm. I've read it. Yeah, I did too, back in the day. This was based around uh, a Ronald DeFeo Jr. Ronald was the eldest child of Luis and Ronald DeFeo Sr. The three of them lived with Ronald's four other siblings in a large house in Amityville on New York's Long Island. You may have heard of, heard of this haunted home at the infamous 112 Ocean Avenue. The home's horrific history began when uh, 23-year-old Ronald Jr. confessed to killing his parents and siblings on the morning of November 13, 1974. All six of them, and again, this is a little graphic, so if you got little ears, cover them up. All six of them had been murdered in their beds with a 35 caliber rifle, mm. which is horrible. Yeah. Ronald Jr. would change his story multiple times throughout the police investigation, however. He lied about his sister's involvement in the murders as well as claimed a notorious mob member was responsible for the slayings. But eventually he confessed the truth that everyone already sort of assumed uh, that he alone had killed his entire family. This is, you know, this is the reality of what happened. And this is what, you know, inspired all of the Amityville movies. And to be honest, like, I think, I think they're, it, I mean, it's pretty, pretty gruesome. You know, I would almost say this is one of the rare cases where, you know, usually it's like the, the movies or the books are like heavily embellished. Mm -hmm. And then you see the real one. It's like, oh, well, it was like kind of mild, still weird, but kind of mild. This one, however, is, I would say, maybe way worse yeah. You know what I mean? Well, what's interesting, I don't know if you're going to get into this, but whenever I was a kid, before I saw the movie, I guess, I mm -hmm. didn't really realize that all this stuff happened before the main characters of the movie move into the house. Right, right. Like, as a kid, I thought the movie was about, you know, the, the previous family. Mm -hmm. So just on the surface, it's already terrifying because you've got this kid who for some whatever reason like killed his whole family yeah right yeah. and then this house is on the market at a time when and it's interesting because in the book and i recently god i mean i don't even know maybe this summer listened to most of the audiobook during this time in the 70s the real estate market and mortgages and stuff were just kind of chaotic. Mm -hmm. And so I think like when this house came on the market, the family that moved in sort of like sprung on it. All this crazy stuff started happening. Yeah. And the husband sort of just going kind of crazy. It's Man, it's just, it's super scary. And the book actually was scary. You know, I was listening to it early in the morning mm -hmm. on a walk or run and it's in the dark and, and just listening to what was going on, it just freaked me out. Yeah, it, it's a weird one. I mean, it kind of, uh, George Lutz, I guess the dad that would move in, George and Kathy Lutz, yeah, he just sort of went off the rails. And I think the claim was that, like, you know, he started, he started, like, 
I, I think they, th- whatever it was in the in the home, whether it was like ghosts or demons or whatever, mm-hmm. I think it really started like laying it on pretty heavy, like with with George. And so, uh, you know, he was the one who started seeing all these things to begin with or experiencing these things. Like, you know, he was hearing like these voices telling him to like get out. Mm-hmm. He, like the all the his phone calls would just like cut off to like static mm-hmm. which i mean you know you can say oh well that was just bad electrical whatever but it was like just really bizarre stuff like the 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 scene with like all the flies mm-hmm. you know is like a sort of a classic one but yeah this is a story that like I kind of feel like we should do an episode about it, right? Oh, yeah. We absolutely should do an episode about it. Because I'm trying not to, like, get into yeah, it without yeah, yeah, no. getting into it. I will say one thing that's interesting about it that I remember distinctly from the book is when the real estate agent told them that, hey, man, like, a year ago or whatever, <laughs> two years ago, mm-hmm. I think it might have even been within the first year, maybe 12 to 13 months after all this, the real estate agent tells them what happened and they're like, eh, all right. <laughs> you know? And so it's no like, deal. uh, and, and then like one of the scary parts of the book to me was, yes, the hearing voices and stuff was, was kind of uh, scary, mm-hmm. but he kept on like seeing someone out near like the boathouse and stuff. And yeah. then he would, I mean, and then like, yeah, we, we need to do an episode on, on this one on its own. So mm-hmm. for sure. Well, well, and and also I I I do have to say because I know people are going to mention this, but we'll get into whenever we cover this, we'll get into the, there's a lot of sort of uh, discrepancies on the story. There's a lot of people that say, "Oh, well this all this was like fake and it was just sort of embellished and yada yada yada." But but yeah, we'll get into it because this is yeah. a this is sort of a classic 70s and 80s story. Mm-hmm. Now, when I think of things that scared me as a kid, there's a movie that scared me kind of, but then I was like, ah, I'll just kick that stupid thing. And that's Child's Play, right? Oh, yeah. It, it's the first movie that I can remember sort of bringing in that idea of Same. there being a possessed item. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it coming after me and stuff. Well, that one isn't necessarily based on a true story, but it does kind of remind me of, of this one, which is the, um, the story of Annabelle. You know, again, this is a more modern movie. Uh, It came out in 2014. Mm -hmm. And again, we can thank our good friends, Ed and Lorraine Warren, not really our good friends, but those two folks, Ed and Lorraine Warren that we talked about earlier, who came and evaluated this doll that this 28-year-old person still had and thought, oh, there's something wrong uh, with this doll. Which, which, by the way, I, I totally forgot to mention this. I don't mean to cut you off. The... Amityville House was also a big case that had a huge impact on the Warrens. So, sorry about that. Good good call, man. Mm-hmm. So, we're kind of back-to-back uh, Warren family here. So, this this 20-year-old, okay, mm-hmm. she started noticing that this doll would change position. Not like, you know, I don't think initially, not while she was looking at it, but, you know, sets the doll up on a shelf, goes about her day, comes back, and the doll's in a different position, looking in another direction or whatever. 
And so her and her roommate began to see these mysterious notes. And this is when things get a little bit freaky, man. They started seeing these notes written on paper that they didn't even keep in the house. Mm. Saying things like, help me. Or, help us. In one instance, the doll actually began to leak blood and pop up in different rooms of the house. And then at that point, that's when they were like, okay, we got we to gotta call somebody. And they called in a medium. The medium told them that the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins was now occupying the doll. The actual real-life doll that had terrorized this lady and her roommate doesn't really look anything like the cinematic version, which... Mm-hmm. You know, almost looks like a, I don't know. And I, again, I haven't, full disclosure, haven't seen the movie. Not interested. Well, the real one's just, I mean, and I, like, I don't know how, but we had one of these growing up. It was just like a Raggedy Ann Yeah, I mean, doll. tons of kids did. Yeah. And to me, to be honest with you, and, and I think whenever they did the modern movie in 2014, they picked like some almost, it almost looked like a ventriloquist dummy in a way. Mm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, something like that. Yep. Or maybe it was like a glass porcelain doll type thing. For some reason, the idea of the Raggedy Ann, uh, also, how dare you, that's my wife's name, um, the idea of the Raggedy Ann kind of moving around and stuff, I'm looking at a picture right now. It's, for some reason, somehow, that's more terrifying to me than the one that they used well, in the modern movie, you know? Because it it reminds us of the Harlequin, mm. and a little bit like Sam the Sandown Clown. Yeah, that's true. A little, like, button eyes and stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, Lorraine Warren was still at it, and she said that looks are deceiving. It's not what the doll looks like that makes it scary. It's what has been infused within the doll. Mm. Evil. Yeah. The Warrens, of course, agreed with the medium and said that there's some sort of inhuman presence within it and that it was possessing this doll all the while potentially looking for a human host. Mm. So they sprinkled a little holy water on the doll, placed it safely inside of a glass case, and it's now resting in their occult museum with a sign that warns everyone against touching this innocent-looking doll. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So I guess, you know, a little holy water and, and glass ought to solve it. Yeah. Um, so take note of that. Well, so also there's the uh, Zach Baggins from the Ghost Adventures show. Yeah. Come at me, bro. Like that yeah. guy. <laughs> Didn't we talk? We talked about him when we talked about the Dybbuk box, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's an interesting guy, but, you know, uh, good on him for sort of making a career out of this. And he's went on to basically create like a museum of all these sort of haunted objects. And um, I think he has like several, several other of them. There's like, well, he doesn't have Robert the doll, but there's, there's a doll called Robert the doll, which I think is out of like Key West maybe that same kind of thing. It would like move, they they have like a camera on it and you can like literally watch it sort of like change like positions oh, and stuff. God, that's ugh. Yeah, it's really creepy. But the creepiest one, I think, is this story from Australia. Chirunga! 
<laughs> and it's this doll called Letta, which is short for Letta Me Out. Mm. Apparently, Letta is a 200-year-old wooden doll with real human hair. Ugh. He was discovered oh, under hell. a house in Wagga Wagga, Australia, by his current caretaker, Carrie Walton. Walton told the Warwick Daily News, which this is terrifying, I reckon he walks in the nighttime. We came in here as a new house and I've never heard so many strange things in my life. He's found scuff marks on the floor of his home as well as objects mysteriously shifted around. You know, Walton has, uh, he's taken Letta on like multiple television interviews. Um, and I think there's even like an Instagram page. Oh boy. Yeah. But it's, uh, I mean, once you see it, it's, boy, it's weird. Terrifying? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, having real human hair, mm. I mean, that alone, I think. Yeah, it, it goes back to that thing that we talked about when when you discover stuff like this, man, you know, it's pretty, you know, hey, cool, man, give it away to yeah. like, historical so that to get it out of you. Don't bring it into your house, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's you know? there's some weird ones out there. I don't really know where I stand on this. And again, I mean, I know we keep sort of just, you know, wailing on this topic, but I do think that there's, I do think that there's like, even like a Tulpa aspect with this. I think, I think there's like this belief that kind of goes around and I don't know, maybe that's sort of like infusing these, these objects. Like, um, I think it's psychomancy. I always get this confused with another one, but it's this sort of belief system where, you know, a person that has like this object, they start sort of imbuing themselves or imprinting into certain objects. You know, that's why I like, you know, some people will say, oh, well, I, I had this like pocket watch for my grandfather and I can always like, I can always feel him near me when I, when I hold it or I can always, mm. it's, you know, when I, when I have it, I'll occasionally get whiffs of like, you know, the smell of roses or cigar smoke or like, it's that sort of like, it's like it's absorbing sort of, you know, certain characteristics of people. So I wonder if like, there's a little bit of that, but then there's also, it just gets like even more sort of ramped up when they gain like internet sort of fame, yeah. if you will. It's weird because it's like, there's this, to me, there's a difference between like an object sort of storing like the like an energy of some sort. Charanga. Yeah, almost in the mm. almost in the 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 form of like memory and memories. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that there's that as a potential possibility of stuff that mm-hmm. occurs. But then there's also this like if it comes down to do you think something evil like an evil entity or an evil well let's take uh, child's play for example right mm. if you remember the chucky doll was possessed by that murderer guy ray yeah. something god mm-hmm. it's been so long since i've watched that yeah uh which by the way i never i always thought those movies were super cheesy well whenever it first came out dude i loved it because i was like a kid it scared me but it wasn't like in you know i wasn't i probably shouldn't have watched it but i did anyway mm-hmm. and then you know and then i loved it when he was like this is the end friend you know like yes the you know but after that well i, I mean i, I watched shots Play too as well but after that i, I kind of gave up and then it would just be like yeah just kick the doll yeah Who well is? now i was 
I mean, not scared, but I, I, I did think, what was the other movie? Well, like the other little like dolls. Oh, oh well, there's a lot. There's well, uh, like the '80s uh, one. There's like the little like. There's a lot. There's the Puppet Master. There's um, there is what is it called? Like the not the crate, not the. Oh man, the curse. Um, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I am thinking of the Puppet Master movies. Yeah, yeah. Those those felt a little more sort of menacing. I mean, always. I don't know. I always none of that stuff like ever like creep me out a little bit. To me, like there's right. something so much scarier about like like the like I have. I need to try to find it because I can't remember like what it is. But it's one of like the you know quote unquote like sort of famous sort of haunted dolls or whatever. But there's like a newscast or like a morning show or something where this guy comes on and he's talk or I think it's a guy, maybe it's a woman, but they're. Uh, they're holding this doll and like, or maybe it's just like sitting there and like you see it's like leg like slide over and like, and it's real subtle, but it's like, to oh me, boy. to me, that is so much scarier than like a little Chucky doll just like walking <laughs> around. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, true. And then there's like Bride of Chucky. I mean, you know, it get like so many of these franchises just go off the rails. They man. totally do. Yeah. <laughs> We will return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense. For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchen, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad. Okay, so my next one is a story, movie, whatever, from the mastermind, Wes Craven. Mm. We are huge fans of Wes Craven here on the show. Mm -hmm. And Wes, if you're listening, boy, we'd love to have you on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This story is from his classic, The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, yeah. This story is pretty... Grizzly, you know, like some of the other ones that we've talked about. So again, cover those little ears. For the inspiration of 2006's The Hills Have Eyes, Craven admitted that he drew inspiration from the legend of Sawney Bean. The mythical leader of a cannibalistic cult. You know, like I said before, most horror movies are that are based on true stories Typically, they're way embellished, but this is another one that the true story is, you know, may even be worse. Uh, So, Sawney Bean was believed to have lived in a cave in remote Scotland uh, with close to 50 family members, including over a dozen of his children from his union with Agnes Douglas and dozens of grandchildren, mostly born out of incest. The family would survive on murder and cannibalism. The legends say that they would target and ambush lone travelers, killing them and feasting on their flesh. When they had more human meat than they could eat before it went bad, they would pickle it and salt the remains to preserve them for later. 
good lord. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's intense. Uh, Bean and his cannibal army uh, lived isolated in their cave until a failed ambush led local authorities to discover their hideaway and capture the whole family. Uh, by the end of their decades-long murder spree, the number of victims was said to be in the hundreds, which, good boy, lord, that is man. crazy, isn't it? Each member of the Bean family was eventually sentenced to a slow, grisly death. However, the legend of Sawney Bean lives on through the power of horror movies. Yeah, so it's it to me that's so interesting because it's it's set in in Scotland, and so mm. for all of you domestic U.S. listeners like Woody and I, mm-hmm. this is something that fits more in sort of like you know backwoods kind of like deliverance style or right, right. like Southern, like Appalachia, mm-hmm. you know, backwards kind of thing. So to hear this kind of thing, like set in Scotland, which I mean, we're probably placing our own, you know, weird standards and biases on it, but it, it it's, it's weird to think of it in yeah. Scotland. And I don't know how long it's been since you've seen the original from the seventies. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while, but I remember loving it. Oh, it's so good. I just watched well, I think I made it like halfway through and I got distracted, but I just watched it the other day mm-hmm. and man, dude, I mean, just, it, it, it is, this is the kind of stuff that is just gold in my, in, in you know, uh, in my opinion, when mm-hmm. it comes to the, the horror genre, because it's so creepy to think about these folks in these backwoods towns mm-hmm. all across, you know, you name it, yeah, that are just, they've sort of figured it out and they're not getting caught yeah. and they have like you said, like this little like army uh, of these cannibal crazy people mm-hmm. and there's no like supernatural element to it. To me, yeah, it's just so terrifying, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, if you go back and you watch, now I don't even know, to be honest with you, I know there's a remake. I don't know if I've seen it. I feel like I have, like 2006 definitely yeah. would have been mm-hmm. prime. We probably had it in the van. Honestly. Yeah, probably. You know what's it's weird? The, I always get yeah. this story and then the town that dreaded sundown. Mm. I always get those two kind of confused. But It's that same kind of thing. Even Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's the same thing where it's like a family of psychotic people yeah, yeah. who prey on innocent people that are just like passing through. Yeah. And it's interesting because, and we'll talk about this on a, on a future episode, but there is this strange and kind of terrifying statistic about late 70s, early 80s, into the mid-90s about serial killers mm. and this kind of stuff. And when I was looking into it, they relate that to more uh, more people traveling on inter- in the interstate system mm-hmm. or on the interstate system and how those little towns that were once before like nothing. Yeah you know, all of a sudden there's an exit off the interstate and you've got these like weirdos that are like, oh man, you know, it's just like an endless stream of innocent people that they can go after. My wife is also like a huge true crime fan. And Mm. um, are you talking about like, uh, well, I think you may be referring to one that's like very similar in this and it's like uh, the Texas Killing Fields. Uh, I wasn't talking about that in particular, but like just I uncovered this statistic when doing some research for a future episode that we're going to be doing during Hmm. the spooktacular that was just extremely interesting to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I do do think like pre-internet, 
a lot of these cases would go forever, mm. you know, unsolved. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you didn't have the aid of web sleuths. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the aid of two chain quick communication <laughs> between you know sheriff's offices. Even. Yeah. Right. At that time, you were kind of like if you were a bad guy, you were up against whoever was the best in that small town, town. thing, and you know, hopefully. That elected sheriff was good at his job, but yeah. in a lot of ways, just like you know, nowadays I guess too, it might not be. And so, if you could outsmart them, well, then you're kind of scot free, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think a lot of it too. I mean, especially with you know watching the documentary of like the Texas killing fields. And again, I it's, need to watch that. I don't even think I've. Man, it's awesome, but boy, it's it's intense. Uh, but there was this sort of thing where, you know, d- d- the from one town to the next town over, like those two departments, like they they weren't trying to like help each other find, you know, certain things or like there was, and there was no database. It was just like, no, 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 this is my town. This is my department. I think it was a lot of like sort of ego driven kind of, yeah. you know, behavior. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. And so, Small I mean. town politics, ego driven, yeah. like. Uh, and in the meanwhile, the case isn't getting solved. Exactly. That's the that's the thing. Yeah. Well, the next one that I'm going to talk about is kind of similar. I was going to talk about Scream. Here's the thing. This is what I want the listeners to know about Scream. It actually was based on some true events that happened in the early '90s in Gainesville, Florida. Um, oh, man, I have some. It friends was down known. There. Yeah, it was known as the yeah, Tom Petty. Um, it was known as the Gainesville Ripper. Okay, hmm. I'm not going to get into the details, man, because for me, it it's uh, it's too grotesque. Actually, uh, I don't want to talk about so it. So I, I didn't <laughs> I mean, know any of this. Oh yeah. So basically, the guy as who, he gets into it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not talking about the bad guy. I'm just talking about the fact that the screenwriter Kevin Williamson mm-hmm. he saw the story on the news and learned about some of the details and stuff, and the idea of it freaked him out so much that he started having nightmares about it. And then that's what inspired him to write the movie Scream. Mm, cool. And also, speaking of, that's Wes Craven too, right? Yep, that is Wes Craven. Yep. And, um, Which, by as the much way, as was I, genius. Dude, I love those movies, man. Yeah, well, I mean, there's I, a lot of, I, I, you like them more than I do, but, but I do think that sort of like breaking the fourth wall. Oh, dude, and that, so good. That very like meta, like, oh, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're a horror fan in the midst of a horror movie. Like, yeah, it's so, so smart. And, and I think it's cool that it came from him because he's sort of one of the fathers of horror, mm-hmm. you know? So it was like super fitting for him to kind of play. I mean, dude, I could talk, at, talk about this movie at length, honestly, because like it, it, to me, one of the most genius things that it did was you would see this trailer with Drew Barrymore. Oh and right, yeah. Spoiler alert here if you haven't seen it. But she's the first one that they that is so unexpected. Yeah. That within oh, minutes. I just from that second I was like, man, this is gonna be awesome. Plus the soundtracks. I mean, it was just great. Yeah. It was just a great time, you know. I mean, I think I was like sixteen, mm-hmm. you know, kinda had to sneak in to see it. Yeah. Well, I I do remember this feeling of um of it like I don't know how to explain it, but I, I I just remember, and I don't know, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the place of like when I would have seen it around, you know, I guess around 16. But I guess there had been sort of a lull 
in horror movies, you know, up till that point, in a way, at least for me at, at that period in my life. Like, like when I thought of horror movies, I thought of like the classics, like Nightmare on Elm Street, the early Friday the 13th, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. So I guess like just horror movies in general, you know, they didn't have that same kind of thing, you know? And so right. I remember when I first saw Scream, it was like, Oh man, it immediately took me right back to that. Like, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it big blockbuster horror movie, but mm-hmm. you immediately knew, like, oh, this is like, this is something special. Yeah. You know, for sure. So instead of that one, <laughs> what I am <laughs> going to talk about is relatively similar to like The Hills Have Eyes. And that really, three movies that actually took most and a lot of their inspiration on um, this one real-life person uh, was the movie. You got Psycho, Mm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Silence of the Lambs. All three of those movies, Mm. the fact that all three of those movies that have so many different characters and that do so many bad things can be related down to one person in real life. Whoa. And this guy's name is Ed Gain. He's the inspiration mm. for Leatherface and Buffalo Bill. Now, apparently a lot of movies kind of draw a lot of inspiration. And not that this one is n- not grotesque, but I just didn't want to talk about the true life story of, of the Scream thing. Okay. Well, maybe we maybe we do another, like, you know, single episode yeah. covering Scream. Yeah. Even if it's just well, like, I, mean, just I want to talk about the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't want to talk about like what he did to these poor college girls, man. It was right. just terrible. Although this is, you know, questionably equally grotesque here. So he, this guy, Ed Gain, was extremely demented. He would use human body parts and, and of course, had like this strange relationship with his mother, which is kind of were the inspiration for Norman Bates. Mm. He, he was he was initially a pretty shy, somewhat odd child. Partly in part, I should say, due to potentially his mom's treatment of he and his brother. They were confined to their farm quite often. She would only read from the uh, from the Bible to them like constantly, mm-hmm. and taught them that the world in general was an inherently evil place. Now his brother died under, quote, suspicious circumstances when he was 38. Hmm. Shortly after, his mother passed away as well, leaving him to turn their farm into a creepy house of horrors that he had dreamed of. Now, all of a sudden in that town, a local hardware store owner went missing. Police basically had enough evidence, they thought, to perform a search at Gaines' home. What they found, I imagine, especially during that time period, just shocked everyone. You know, I envision, um, and God, I don't remember what movie I just saw where the police show up at the house and they see what happens in there and it just shows like the cops just like, you know, vomiting and stuff because it was so intense. Hmm. But I think that's probably what happened here. He became known as the Butcher of Plainfield after they made the search. That's what they kind of named him. There were decapitated bodies, including the one of the hardware store owner that was missing. Human body parts all over the house being used in various 
graphic ways. There were human skulls impaled on bedposts. Mm. Kitchen utensils made from human bones. Household items like chairs and wastebaskets made from human skin. They found leggings that he had made from human skin. Masks made from faces. I don't know if you want to put this one in there, but a belt made out of nipples. <laughs> what? I mean, Jesus. Wait, how does that work? I just strung them together. I guess a lampshade huh. made from a face, dude. And just countless other things. Wow. Of course, he admitted to murdering the hardware store owner and visiting the local graveyard, you know, supposedly, to exhume the bodies to use for his other demented experiments. Hmm. He also, you know, and this is one of those things where nowadays, if they would have caught him, he probably would have, like, held up a gun real fast and then he would have died and we would have never known what, why, you know? In in so many of these situations, like, why did you do this, man? And I don't know why I want to know. Like, I'm going to get some sort of answer that, okay, that makes sense. You know, it's Mm -hmm. never that. No. But it is interesting. He said that his, so he revealed that his motives behind these crimes were that after his mother died, he wanted to create a, quote, woman suit so he could become his mother and crawl into her skin. Wow. I mean. Man. Just terrifying, man. And so, like, because of this case, you know, the the psychotic sort of killers and characters were then portrayed in all these other movies. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just too, it's just too scary. I mean, that's just terrifying, man. And it is, it is interesting how it, it goes hand in hand with like, you know, that like super close connection to like the mom and then, you know, being read probably some sort of, totally whacked out version of like the bible like growing up but then also like probably a horrible like childhood mm-hmm. of like abuse and like mm-hmm. it's just like a weird it just it, it always goes on to produce this weird like sort of like white trash incestuous kind of like um i mean this is going to sound odd but i think i think rob zombie like perfectly captures that vibe in his movies yeah you know and that's i I don't watch him yeah it's it's just too gross too real too gritty you know it definitely is and it's like it's you just feel like i just can't but that's crazy i never knew that that those those were all sort of inspired by him especially silence of the lambs i didn't i didn't know that at all the whole like skin you know oh yeah yeah I guess so. It's just, ugh. I don't know, man. Not to be a bump on a log, but just the <laughs> fact that that kind of stuff exists is just so freaking scary, man. Mm-hmm. I tell myself all the time, and you and my wife and every, and my parents, whenever I'm talking to them randomly, I'm like, I got to stop watching this true crime stuff, man. It's turning me into like the, it's not that I went from, hey, get off my lawn to, yeah. hey, there's a psycho killer right there. <laughs> there's a psycho you know? killer on my lawn. Oh, man. Yeah. It, it definitely does. I mean, I think it's it kind of does make you sort of hyper aware of like the danger out there that uh, that you know maybe we didn't. Uh, well, we definitely didn't know about growing up in the eighties and nineties because 
it probably didn't exist as much, I would like to think. Maybe not, but but yeah, it is weird. I mean, especially especially like if you have kids, it it really makes it difficult to just let them be kids. Yeah. Which is kind of sad. But well, I mean, this has been a super interesting uh education on mm-hmm. where some of these scary movies got uh their story from. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of like in a lot of ways on some of these that I haven't seen in a while, or even, I got to admit, I kind of want to see The Conjuring now because I've kind of got this backstory and some context into it being, mm. you know, really based on something that truly happened. You know, I, I think I've got some more movies to add to my list, man. Well, if I remember, I re- and again, like it's been a while since I've seen either of them, but I, for some reason, I feel like the second one is sort of the, sort of like the favorite, maybe, of the Conjuring. Of the Conjuring, yeah. I, and I don't know why I'm, I'm remembering or thinking that, but, but yeah, I think I think the second one was like really good. I I like the first one, and again because it's it it does have it has that like, seventies sort of, I don't know what would you call it like isolation, like. Mm. You don't have cell phones. You don't have a computer. You're not like there's, you know, if you're in a haunted house out in the middle of nowhere, like that's it. It's just you out there, you know. Man. So it's pretty creepy. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed going down this this spooky little, you know, walk down memory lane for these cases that inspired, you know, some of our favorite horror movies. If you would like to tell us about your own favorite horror movie or the event that inspired it, uh, head on over to our Instagram, drop us a comment, shoot us a DM, tell us what you like, don't tell us what you don't like. If you would like to tell us your own spooky story or your own spooky maybe encounter, maybe you you know, you've seen a cryptid, maybe your house is haunted, whatever, and you want to write it out, head on over to that would be redpod at gmail.com. Even better, head on over to that would be radpodcast.com where you can leave uh, in your own voice a voice memo, you know, your story, and it goes directly to us. And then, you know, in a future episode, maybe it'll show up. Buy us a coffee, go give us a five star review on whatever podcaster you're using. And I guess also, most importantly, just go tell a single friend about the show. Tell that weird friend who's into horror movies or the guy at the gas station who may or may have not murdered his family. I'm sure he'll love the show. Also, if you like the show and you want a little bit more, head on over to our Patreon, The Rabbit Trail. It's more of what you love. It uh, Well, I mean, it's a great way to support us because we love this podcast. We love bringing you guys excellent episodes week mm-hmm. after week mm-hmm. and so it's a great way to support us but also it's a great way to kind of find out more about us you know yeah uh, access to bonus content and not just extra episodes but you know our music catalog and mm. all kinds of other stuff mm-hmm. so you should check it out for sure yeah go check it out and uh we again we really appreciate you guys especially our rabbit trail you know, best friends over there. It means the world to us. And I mean, all, anybody listening, uh, even to the free feed over here, it means the world to us. But, you know, our Patreon is sort of the way that you're able to sort of support us in real time. And uh, it it really means a lot to us. And so uh, we, we really appreciate it. Anything else, Woody? 
Man, I think that's about it. Well, I got to go watch some more horror movies. So we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way it Isms good, PL. Yes, hey. Isms good. <laughs> Terrific. Okay, so long. What? I laugh at. I laugh. <laughs> I laugh at. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's fine. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man.
Yeah, that's... I mean, it's okay. That's fine. It's fine. Howdy, all you vampires and mummies. Was it supposed to be mummies and vampires or vampires and mummies? I think it was supposed to be werewolves and vampires. Shh.